organization called the Black Lives Matter, or BLM. Who should get the COVID vaccine first? Vaccines begin rolling out of Pfizer's manufacturing facility. Tonight, the new warning on Pfizer's COVID vaccine. The president's team says witnesses will show evidence of widespread fraud. We found 103,709 ballots that we believe were illegal ballots. You're going to find tremendous fraud. You're going to find fraud of hundreds of thousands of votes per state. Just about the 700,000 votes that President Trump was ahead by two days ago disappeared. Organization just declared this a global health emergency. Is a condition that I'm not allowed to wear a mask? Wearing a mask is an act of kindness. We are not okay. You, me, everyone. We're drinking and smoking way more than usual, taking more drugs, and spending more time gaming, gambling, and binge-watching trash TV than ever before. And who can blame us? The world shut down almost a year ago, and it's been brutal, especially for busybodies who spend a lot of time in social settings. All that distraction is gone, and many of us are noticing our so-called demons getting restless, really restless. This is the Dr. Junkie Show, and I'm Ben Boyce, your drug-positive, harm-reduction-preaching host. Today's episode is about how stressed out, exhausted, depleted, and on edge we all are after 11 months locked in our houses with people who we might have loved when this all started, but now we're not so sure. We're all burned out and ready to snap. And who can blame us? The number of overdose deaths has already gone up quite a bit in the United States since COVID shutdowns began. We're in the middle of a failed coup of sorts. Our exiting president is certainly planning on ways to evade capture when the warrants for his arrest start popping up sometime next month. Imagine if I lose my whole life, what am I going to do? I'm not going to feel so good. Maybe I'll have to leave the country. Many of us have family members who have blocked us out of their lives because we don't agree with them politically or religiously, or in my case, both. The holidays are usually a time when we celebrate the end of shortening days, a turn in the road from heading into winter to heading out. We usually get together with our people and pump ourselves up to get through the next few months of cold weather. None of that is going to happen this year. And if you're from a family where that is going to happen, you should think about why you're willing to risk infecting others to have your get-together. It's because it's important, valuable, life-sustaining even. We need each other to get through the day. I woke up at 3 a.m. this morning, gear spinning about nothing in particular. That's where this episode began, in that foggy, can't-sleep-anymore-nothing-between-last-night-and-this-morning. My circadian rhythm is a bit of a mess right now, and I'm not the only one. The anchors I normally use to position myself day-to-day are floating free, unmoored from dates and times and meetings and conventions. These are the concerns of the old world. They don't exist anymore here. It's all of us. We aren't sleeping well. We definitely aren't eating well. We can't go outside because it's cold, so a lot of us aren't exercising. We're bored, depressed, anxious, and frustrated, and we have nothing to do with all of that energy. And a lot of us are also on the verge of losing jobs, cars, or even our homes. It's a stressful time to be alive, and that's okay. We need to say that out loud, shamelessly. This shit is tough, and it's normal to feel powerless and exhausted. But unfortunately, we're not talking openly about it. Every time someone talks to me about their increased drug use during this pandemic, and there's been dozens of these conversations now, they do so in hushed tones, and only after I remind them that I can't judge them because I honestly don't care. 
That's not my thing when it comes to drug use. It's natural to consume intoxicating chemicals. It's totally normal to use drugs as a coping mechanism or as a tool for bettering your life. And when shit gets boring or annoying, like it has been for the last year, it's normal to use more of these substances because everything else is gone. But it should also be normal to talk about it. That's where we're failing as a culture. A lot of us have done the same thing with our drug use as we've done with our Zoom frame. We've hidden everything just out of sight and then stopped talking about it. If you're finding yourself drinking every day or drinking more every day, so are the rest of us. And those who don't drink are spending more time using their drugs of choice. And those who don't think they use drugs are still either confused about what drugs are or they're lying because that's what our culture has taught us to do if we use drugs, especially if we ever struggle with addiction. We all use drugs, whether chemical compounds like caffeine, Prozac, THC, or non-pharmaceuticals like meditation, spirituality, gambling, binging, sex, pornography, or online bullying. These are all drugs in the sense that they act like a foot in our brain's ass, so to speak. They get us up and moving with a nudge of positive affect. They make us smile or chuckle, even when we feel bored or anxious or straight up depressed. They make life worth living when it feels like it isn't. We all have our own personalized tools for feeling better, things we've built into our lives to act like a pressure relief valve, and we're all using them a lot more than usual lately. Whether you're pulling the wheel on a virtual slot machine, or cracking the seal on that bottle, firing up a blunt or a crack pipe, or taking pills or supplements, what happens in your brain isn't all that different. Here's where it gets controversial. Our drug use is often healthy. Let me say that again. The decision to use drugs is often the correct one. Taking drugs to feel better can be a responsible choice. The war on drugs, which killed 79,000 people last year and saw someone arrested every 20 seconds, is built on the foundation that taking drugs is always the wrong choice, that it's selfish and sinful, dangerous, even deadly. But that's just not true. And the shame we all carry around, the lies we tell and the energy we spend sustaining them, the self-deprivation and the self-loathing, the fear of discovery and of tough love, living in a state of chronic anxiety, that's toxic shit. When you're struggling with sleeplessness, it is healthier to take a sleeping pill or a benzo and to get eight hours of hard sleep than it is to stay up all night torturing yourself. When you're struggling with depression, anxiety, or the annoyance of being incarcerated in your own home, it's healthier to medicate those conditions and get back to living than it is to sustain chronically high blood pressure and cortisol levels. When you're having a panic attack, it's healthier to take a Xanax than to press through and hope your brain doesn't explode. Drugs can be incredibly healthy. The idea that they're somehow disconnecting us from ourselves or that they play with parts of the brain that don't normally engage, that's all hogwash. Of course we need to balance all of this with concerns about addiction and overuse and dependency. I'm not saying we should all take any drug we want to anytime we want at any dose. That could get us in big trouble. But what I am saying is that right now, 11 months into this shit show, it's totally normal to feel like something is missing from your life. Because it is. Think about what your daily routine looked like just a year ago. Chances are your drive across town to a public workspace has been replaced by a solitary walk into the designated area of your house that you're using as a home office. It's not just the clock punching. The performances that went along with our routine have also taken a hit. Our alarms used to go off at the same time every weekday. We'd pump ourselves up on the way to work, put on our game face, and get ready to appear happy and normal for eight full hours. It was pretty exhausting. 
but we were deliberately planning meals, exercise and medication, scheduling appointments and planning for days off, considering vacations and travel. All that shit has been replaced by a turning inward. We're all on lockdown, and it's starting to feel a lot like prison. But the chemicals still work, and they're still here, immune from the COVID-19 restrictions and ready to offer us comfort and support anytime we need it. Until the world gets back to normal, they're often the only thing we've got. So now the vaccines are here, and they're being distributed, kind of, but that's only made things worse. This began as an adventure, a work-from-home staycation to protect the vulnerable. The clock was running, sure, but it was also blacked out. We had no idea how long it was going to take to get back to normal. So we hunkered down, we pulled out our puzzles and our old video games, and we passed a few months like it wasn't shit. But then these scientists dropped a vaccine faster than ever before, and now we're all itching for a concert or a party or for Vegas. God, I need some Vegas in my life. And those itches still only have a few possible scratches, so to speak. I'm struggling through this too. I'm a Vegas guy, and in a normal year, I spend dozens of nights at a $50 dive room near the permanent party called Glitter Gulch up on the north side of town. But I haven't been to Vegas in almost a year, and the steam I had been blowing off on the strip has backed up and pressurized. And with most of the close-to-home options for a recreational day also restricted or closed outright, it's been as tough for me as it has been for many of you. I feel you. If you don't feel like you're struggling, that's awesome. Share the wealth, reach out and check on your friends, especially those who've struggled with mental illness or addiction in the past. We can use it. We're social creatures, us humans, and just knowing someone gives a shit can do a lot to give us those same hormones that are currently monopolized by the drugs we're taking. And if you're struggling, reach out and ask your people how they're doing. Sounds weird, right? But there's something about being there for other people that tends to make you feel better about yourself. If you've ever counseled somebody going through detox or a bad trip, you can probably relate. Taking the leadership role does something magic to your own concerns. They immediately take a back seat, and they feel like they're not as big of a deal as they were a minute ago. That's part of the reason 12-step programs work so well for those who can fit with the hegemonic demands of these organizations. They put people into leadership roles, and it's hard to perform powerless victim at the same time as you're performing wise sage. This is a podcast about things that get you high, and despite the recurring echoes of my friend Austin's words, take advice from a junkie, that'll be the day, I want to share just a few quick pieces of advice that have helped me get through the pandemic, and at other times in my life, through a prison sentence, through detox, through halfway houses, and even severe injuries. The truth is that, despite everything I just said, these times of leaning heavily on our drugs of choice do sometimes leave us prone to struggling with addiction especially when everything goes back to so-called normal and we really get a good look at just how much we've adapted to life without social spaces. So in the meantime, let's love ourselves as we get through each day. But let's also keep finding alternative methods of elevating our attitudes, tools for maximizing the positive effects of small doses of drugs, and sustainable habits that will survive the transition back to post-COVID life. So here are my five pieces of advice. Number one, love yourself. I end every show by saying, love yourselves and the addicted people in your life. That sounds kind of hokey, but it's actually pretty deep. I used to hear that old adage, you won't be able to love others until you love yourself, and I thought that it meant you should love things that you do, or love the experiences of living life. Those definitions all involved me looking outward, as if I were some stable entity named Ben, wandering through life looking for the next distraction. 
peering out from behind my eyes like the man behind the wheel. If you listened to my recent meditation episode a few weeks back, you already know how this illusion of the man behind the wheel can get us into real trouble as humans. We are not a stable identity housed in a body piloting a brain. There is no man behind the wheel. You are it. All that noise and chatter upstairs, that's you. Not some bully pulling levers to overwhelm you with disconnected thoughts or anxiety-filled apprehensions. My mistake was trying to love the man behind the wheel, even though that person didn't exist. My recovery from childhood abuse and trauma really took off when I grabbed a hold of that phrase and held up the mirror, looking inward. Sure, I loved riding ATVs or hiking or smoking weed. These are all things that bring me joy. I figured the man behind the wheel was responsible for these things bringing me joy. And to that extent, I figured I'd done my homework when it came to loving myself. But it turns out that I actually do not love my enjoyment of hiking, or my enjoyment of riding ATVs, or my enjoyment of smoking weed. I mean, I love these things, but my love of those things doesn't make me love myself. It's not pride-worthy to enjoy hiking or to enjoy smoking weed, right? That would be weird because I have little control over what brings me joy and what doesn't. I love shooting cocaine, but I don't love that I love shooting cocaine. Make sense? What I do love about myself, though, are things that I hardly noticed until I stopped to identify and deliberately define them. And I couldn't do that until I released this illusion of the man behind the wheel. I am the man behind the wheel. The separation of mind and body, of emotional and physical pain, it's an illusion. Now when I'm asked what I love about myself, I don't have to resort to a self-centered view of loving the things that bring me joy. Now I can list things about myself that I appreciate. I love that my roots in poverty and in the penitentiary turned me into a bit of a hustler. I can always figure out a way to make it happen, even if it's expensive or complicated and I don't have a lot of cash. I love that I'm interested in learning things and willing to do the work. That I've managed to treat my autism-related disdain of being confused by diving in and learning about whatever it was that had me confused. I love that I tend to grab a hold of negative experiences, like waking up at 3 a.m., and turn them into positive products, like this podcast you're listening to. Loving yourself means naming the traits about yourself which you enjoy, the things inside you, not outside you, which bring you joy. And until you do that, you won't be able to understand a partner or a friend showing you love because you won't understand what they're loving what they see about you and appreciate until you also see and appreciate those same things in yourself. My partner would never say to me, I love the way ATV riding makes you feel, but she would say, I love that you can always patch it up and make it work. It's a small difference and a hard one to spot sometimes given our cultural orientation towards self-centered narcissism. We are a country of self-described very stable geniuses. So do yourself a favor and take a few minutes to think about the things you love about yourself. Not things you enjoy doing or love eating, but things you love about you. Things that you would love about someone else if they were the same. Until you appreciate a quarterback spiral or a professor's teaching style, you'll have a hard time understanding the cultural appreciation of these figures. It's hard to know what other people see in them. Alright, piece of advice number two. Pay attention. Again, if you haven't listened to my conversation with Dr. Jenny Honeycutt about meditation, it aired a few weeks ago and covered all sorts of meditation-related topics. But the main point that came up over and over was paying attention, noticing feelings in your body and thoughts as they go through your mind without judging them. Don't run them off or condemn them for showing up, or you might not notice them the next time. The brain is a tricky machine. 
but pay attention when you see them or when you feel them. It's often worth your time to diagnose them. My 3 a.m. wake-up call wasn't that unusual. I've been getting up early in the morning ever since I quit shooting heroin around 15 years ago, so I only actually lost an hour or so of sleep. But I could have hopped out of bed and gotten on with my day, eager to forget whatever had been keeping me up in the first place. But I've learned, the hard way, to avoid that temptation. If something wakes me up at 3 a.m. today, chances are it'll wake me up at 2 a.m. by next week, unless I deal with it today. Pay attention to what's going on in your mind and in your body. Just naming it can ease the discomfort you might be feeling. In my case, it was a relationship which had been bothering me. You might have guessed that my outspoken attitude has burned a few bridges. So I took a few minutes to touch base with my loved one and to make sure they knew that the door was still open for future conversations. And just that one small move was enough to ease my discomfort. Alright, number three, take drugs. Or don't stop taking drugs if you've been taking them. Right now, this is a big one. I have a few friends who are struggling with the moral condemnation that comes with taking drugs regularly. And right now, after a year locked inside, they're having a hard time sleeping when they cold turkey themselves. And my response when they tell me this is no shit. Why are you cold turkeying yourself? I get it. If you still struggle with the shame that we were all taught to feel, but to never admit we feel, then it's perfectly natural to want to rid yourself of the demon intoxicants which you think are responsible for all your problems. But we all know better. Like I said earlier, losing nights of sleep can be much worse for your overall health than taking a reasonable dose of a drug to get some sleep. That doesn't mean you should take whatever you want without limit, or that guzzling a fifth of vodka before bed is a good idea. I mean, you can do that if you think it will make your life better, but our goal should always be to slowly and surely progress, to find better drugs and more effective strategies, to minimize inebriation and maximize positive effects. And most importantly, our goal should be sustainability. If you're taking a toxic quantity of drugs, or if you're upping your dose all the time, you'll eventually hit a wall. That's not because drugs are bad, it's because we sometimes use them irresponsibly or incorrectly. We should all be looking for the best way to fire on all eight cylinders without negative consequences, long or short term. That leads me to number four. Stop taking drugs, if you need to anyway. I know, what the hell, right? I just told you to keep taking drugs. But brains and bodies change as we age. And anyone who's tried to drink the same amount at 40 that they did at 18 and realized something is way different than it was back then, you were right. As we progress in life, we should always be looking around and watching for new methods of self-improvement. That might mean taking less of the drug you've been taking for a long time. Or it might mean changing your drug regimen altogether. It might mean altering your dosing schedule or lowering your dose to avoid negative effects. I've said it before, and I'll say it again here. The value of a good doctor who is on your team can't be overstated. So try to find one that you can trust and who you can tell the truth. And number five, find your spiritual self. Yeah, now it's getting heavy, right? One of my biggest pet peeves is the insistence in the USA on brainwashing our children before they're old enough to know any better. We know that childhood lessons are more difficult to unlearn than adult lessons, and we know that fear is a powerful motivator. The fact that we take advantage of both of these human characteristics is revealing. We scare our children with fire-filled torture holes unless they agree to accept Jesus or to say a prayer. We promise that someone is always watching and that this someone can even read their minds. We attach loaded terms like sin to human behaviors like sex, intoxication, and recreation. 
And the end result is that most of us never really question what we believe until we're grown, and sometimes not even then. So do yourself a favor and figure out what you believe. Not what you claim to believe, that dusty church you've been giving cash to every month for the last 10 years to appease your guilt. I'm talking about what you actually believe. Do you think the creator of the universe offered humans a master text of rules and guidelines? Then you should read that text and make sure you agree with it. Make sure it doesn't make your heart burn. There's some fucked up shit in there, including the invention of race-based slavery, the selling of women as objects, the murder of entire cities under the order of God, and even genocide committed by people who claimed that their actions were holy. Maybe all that's true. I can't say for sure, but I don't claim to believe it, so I don't have to say for sure. If you do claim to believe it, do yourself a favor and make sure you do believe it. And if you bump into things that you cringe at reading, or if you discover something that makes you say, what the hell, Jesus didn't say that, then note it, address it, and have the guts to throw it out. Our spiritual cognitive dissonance is making our current situation with COVID much worse. You can be a Christian, or practice Islam, or Judaism, or Hindu, or any other religion. I don't care, as long as you take the time to understand what you claim to believe. And that practice, looking deep to make sure you understand the things that you claim to support, can do a lot of the same work that our drugs are doing right now. We feel more secure in our spirituality when we actually understand what we claim to believe. And our beliefs act as a pillar in times of struggle, like during a year-long quarantine. Alright, that's it. Advice from a junkie about how to stay healthy and happy during a lockdown. This thing is almost over, and every day the itch grows a little stronger as the weight grows a little shorter. But just because you figure it out, doesn't mean your people have figured it out. Check on your people and suck it up if they annoy you. Deaths of despair are through the roof right now. Suicides, overdoses, stupid accidents. And sometimes a simple call or a card is enough to get us through another day when we're struggling. Be there for your people, and more importantly, allow them to be there for you. When we look back in a decade or two, we'll laugh about the weird pictures, the explosion of Zoom-like technology, the things we all did to stay sane as the months dragged into years. But right now, we're all frazzled, and this shit isn't funny anymore. Let's help each other get through the last days of this mess by talking openly and honestly and without shame about drugs and our use of them. Check out the website, drjunkieshow.com, for more information about this and all episodes. And email me with your thoughts or suggestions or questions. If you've enjoyed the show, let me know on social media or DM me. This is going to do it for Season 1, but don't worry, I'll be back soon with a new and improved Season 2. In the meantime, thanks to all the people who made this season possible. To my pops, who helped me with the music early on. To my partner, Dr. Aaron Boyce, for brainstorming and joining me in the episode about methamphetamine. Check that out if you haven't already. Thanks to Kenny Jackson for design and music help early on, plus some early promotion. Thanks to Misty Cerebral for the introductions and some of the ideas. And a super huge couldn't do it without you thanks to Laura Hall, my totally volunteer editor, idea generator, and bullshit detector. Laura is a wicked badass feminist who also owns a small bakery called Sweet Eileen's Gourmet Treats, which you can find on Facebook, Instagram, or linked on my social media feeds, drjunkieshow.com. It's some good shit. And most importantly, as always, love yourselves and the addicted people in your life. I'm your host, Ben Boyce.